This episode is sponsored by The Juice, a new kind of media company serving sales and marketing professionals. There's a phrase you hear thrown around the marketing industry a ton. Create for people, not bots. And I get it. And I love it. But how do I find it? Aren't all the places I would search for the content ruled by the bots and the algorithms? I'm just tired of the system gamers. I'll just say it like that. The Juice is too. They collect and consolidate resources from across the internet onto their single platform, which is beautifully designed, almost like the Spotify for B2B content. And they show you both the most popular content among your profession, and if you sign up as a user for free, they'll customize their suggestions to your specific job and level. You can also find and create content playlists and easily save and share them. So get ready to go down the most productive internet rabbit hole you've ever experienced. Learn more and sign up for free at thejuicehq.com. So thinking back to your days in film, what's a film project that if you look back on it for better or worse, uh, you just sort of laugh and you think, I I can't believe I made that. Oh, well, most of them. Most of them actually. (laughs) Uh, But I think the most, story-wise, the most interesting one, I was very focused in like genre filmmaking, like low budget, because if you have a low budget, you want to go horror and there's an audience there and I do like that audience. So going back as early as that, I've been very interested in finding smaller audiences to really to really connect with. I didn't ever really have delusions of whatever like the big scale movie movie is now. I didn't, I, I always thought it was going to be small and indie. Yeah, so a lot of these like horror movies are embarrassing, but luckily they were all shot like in lower resolution than everyone wants today. So they've kind of like disappeared. But that is what brought Adrian and I together because we were going to make a post-apocalyptic horror comedy that she was cast in and we made about 60% of. So. Uh, the old the old classic post-apocalyptic horror comedy to giant YouTube channel about yoga move. Very cliche. <laughs> exactly. Very exactly. Cliche. <laughs> That's the voice of Chris Sharp, who is one half of an organization called Find What Feels Good. But the brand's biggest fans would be forgiven if they knew Chris's work by a different name. Yoga with Adrian. This week, the story of the most popular YouTube channel about yoga. Or, more accurately, the business behind it. Sure, the YouTube channel has 10.4 million subscribers at the time of this recording. But what does it take to resonate with even one of those people, especially when there's a danger as you grow that big in growing further away from that audience. How do we all ensure that our own work resonates both with the audience and, just as importantly, with us when we keep doing this over and over and over again? Well, that's what Chris Sharp and his co-founder Adrian Mishler have had to figure out. From reinvention and diversification to killing key projects voluntarily, inspiration, motivation, and burnout, to getting through 10 plus years of content creation demands, algorithms, and concerns, I feel stressed just thinking about their story. If only there was some exercise, some practice that I could try to feel more centered and calm and relaxed. Any ideas? No? Nothing? I know, I know, just play the music. It's revealing, inspiring, yet challenging. It's unthinkable, exploring why work resonates and how ours can too. I'm Jay Akunzo. 
Chris Sharp is not the on-air talent. He's a director, a producer, a creative mind to be sure, but also now a strategic mind, the CEO behind Yoga with Adrian, which is the largest single project in terms of volume, both of content and audience, under one brand, one business known as Find What Feels Good. So what does the CEO of a modern YouTube-led, creator-centric, audience-first company, what does that person do all day? So yesterday, I went to our office that's currently under construction. We're converting a a big metal building into a production studio so that we can ramp up production and build sets and stuff like that. So going there, working on the strategy of what that's going to look like and how we're going to pay for it and all those logistics and then rolling into a meeting about a product that will hopefully be launching in a physical product that will hopefully be launching next September for our 10 year birthday that I can't really talk about too much. Then about two hours of talking with Adrian about different things. A lot of calls yesterday, not a lot, not a lot of actual work. And then like another long meeting about marketing and then like a meet, talking to a social media company about like dialing in our approach and improving that because as we are starting to promote for the first time this find what feels good the network and then a couple of calls with potential new people that may be coming on board when you think about the last 10 years let's talk about like maybe campfire or fire pit stories like you're kind of reminiscing over a a good drink with adrian and anyone else you might work with and you're reflecting back on those 10 years what are the stories that are definitely coming out well, I would say from the very beginning of our channel, we'd, we'd always had this big, we didn't know why it was there, a big audience in London. So everyone was asking us to go to London. We didn't have enough to like fly to California or some at that time. We were like, we were totally broke, but we always had these people asking us to go to London to do a yoga class, which at that time would have been like, you know, it's a 20 person yoga class. That's not going to pay for the plane. <laughs> plane tickets, but we always we always wanted to go there and do something. So then when we, we finally, this is like seven years into it, we do a European roadshow and we got to do uh, an event at Alexandra Palace, which is this massive place. Took two hours just to load in all the people. I think we had like 3,000 people there. So like seeing that as the end point and thinking back to these earlier conversations on in the YouTube comments where we said, yeah, we want to come to London someday. And then we were there and it's the lights, the screen, it's like 3,000 people. That, that was a big one. Not like surface trappings of success, but succeeding at a goal that, that just didn't seem realistic. And then it, it was so much bigger than we would have ever dreamed. Where were you when Adrian walked out onto the stage or in front of the crowd? Were you behind the scenes? Were you in the I was, crowd? I was with the camera. I was side stage with the camera, shooting it. So that felt right too. <laughs> <laughs> Very appropriate. Yeah. What do you remember thinking or feeling in that moment? Just ecstatic, really. Just like it was. It blew my mind. <laughs> it was a big deal. Yoga with Adrian is specifically the YouTube show, and it's that show is designed for YouTube, and so it's that's production-wise, the production, the style is designed to really resonate with a YouTube audience on a very personal level. So we stay in the house, we don't go out. Find what feels good is more of a network where Yoga with Adrian is one of the shows that's on that network, but we're also making other shows, for lack of a better term, where some of those are in other locations. They're outside. It's different types of yoga. It can get more 
esoteric, I guess, which we know that's not our audience on YouTube, but we do have a segment that's interested in that those more advanced topics. So yeah, so Find What Feels Good is more of a network that encompasses Yoga with Adrian is one of the shows, but we're developing new shows with both Adrian and other teachers. Most of those won't be on YouTube. They'll just be as part of our streaming service and app. And show maybe because of Adrian and my background in film and TV and things like that. But this is a very specific format with a very specific goal in mind. And that goal is to teach yoga, but it's also to establish this connection between Adrian and the people who are joining to watch and ideally develop community from there. So it's a, it's very much, we want it to be like Adrian is talking to you as a friend when you come to watch. And we, and we think about that. We don't think about a million people that are going to watch this episode. We try to think about it as one person is watching this episode and that person is whoever's watching it. Okay. So this brings me to one of my biggest pet peeves in, uh, this is specific to YouTube, but there's versions of this, I suppose, in other mediums, which is in YouTube, as soon as the personality addresses the camera, hey guys, mm-hmm. and I'm watching it, I'm looking left and right, and I'm like, where are the guys? Like, it's yeah, just yeah. me. And I yeah. write newsletters and I do podcasts, and you know, the literally the only thing I do where I'm addressing a community of people is when I step on a stage and give a speech because everyone right. can see everyone. We know we're together with a group. I don't know where that went awry, but everybody thinks they're addressing a collective. And I love that you brought up actually, no, 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 it's, it's just one person. But it, but it is a nuance. And so how do you and Adrian think about that nuance and have it change the work for the better? Well, and I will say we are very intentional about that. Sometimes we are acknowledging that there's a huge community of people watching it, especially as, we, as we're ramping up to a big event where we want a lot of people to like join in at the same time. But yeah, it is a nuance. When we're making the show, for, for sure, we're always thinking about this is a one-on-one connection and we're trying to reach a very you know, we started out with a very like specific person in mind, and this isn't your traditional, someone that would traditionally feel comfortable going to a yoga class, mm. whether that's for cost issues, body image issues, uh, just not feeling like they fit into that world. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different things. Post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of times people don't feel comfortable going to a yoga studio. So we were very much sending out a signal looking for people that were yoga curious for lack of a better term, but would not go. And so we were going for people initially, like as we envisioned someone in the Midwest that wants to just feel better. And it's not necessarily about losing weight or whatever, but just wants to move and, and have, have the, the positive ramifications of moving and taking action and, and, and learning about this stuff. And so that's, that's who we always think about when we're creating this and, and, and having done, 700 episodes or however many it is there are times when it's easy to listen too much to the noise rather than the signal and we've since adrift and and so we just slowly bring it back okay so there's this key thing about resonance as it relates to the science of it all resonance is a a process of essentially transferring energy to another system by matching that system's natural frequency so you can think very simply of pushing somebody on a swing If I match your natural frequency, if I push you right at the moment you are about to head forward, I amplify you faster and further than if I pushed you when you were coming back at me or pushed you when you were too far ahead already swinging forward. If I match your natural frequency, I can amplify you and thus resonance occurs. So that's the same with creative work. But we don't often think about matching the natural frequency of other people. In other words, what are they going through and how do we acknowledge that even if it's implicitly and use that to connect more deeply with them? 
because then they can throw up their hands and go, wow, I feel seen or you're speaking to my soul. What we're really doing is we're amplifying what others feel, think, or do as a result of matching their natural frequency. It's a long way of saying that Adrian thinks not just about imparting the knowledge, giving away the teaching, but using every moment to connect more deeply, to build an ongoing relationship. Here's a little snippet from the first ever Yoga with Adrian video. And what we're going to find throughout this story is that sound and style, the way she is on camera, the way she connects to resonate evolves. But here's a clip from the first ever video. Hello and welcome to Yoga with Adrian. I'm Adrian and welcome to, I already said welcome. <laughs> I really want to welcome you so bad. Okay. Even right from the beginning, she's charming, inclusive, and personable. And that aligns with the mission that Chris and Adrian share to make yoga more accessible. She injects a bit of her silly self into that intro, though, as we're going to hear, the iterative nature of our content makes reinvention almost inevitable. And how Chris and Adrian thought about reinvention and executed it is really powerful, but at first, they just did what felt right. Kind of an ongoing theme for me as a teacher, something that I like to offer my students, is this invitation to find what feels good. If you came for a cooling practice, stay cool. Be cool. It's a West Side Story reference for all you musical theater fans. At the same time, if people come for a more fiery practice, I'm the phrase that pop to mind, and I always hesitate to cite people's numbers that are public because by the time people hear this, it'll hopefully for your work have gone up, right? So <laughs> I think I saw something like 10.4 million subscribers on YouTube. So instead of, instead of addressing 10.4 million individuals, you're addressing an individual 10.4 million times. Exactly. Yeah. How, does that change the very opening moments of a video or the topic selection? Like when you actually go to plan or produce content, how does that change it? We do devote a significant amount of our content planning to requests from the audience. So we are always listening. So we know, and sometimes we'll do things that we know are not going to be that popular or that popular with everybody, but it could be yoga for golfers because we have a lot of people that actually want a yoga video to give to their dads who golf a lot. What's up everyone? Welcome to Yoga with Adrian. I'm Adrian and today we have yoga for golfers. This is a big request. I want to give a little shout out to my family, the Martinez family. Thank you for always letting me drive the cart. And for all you golfers, this one is for you. So hop into something comfy, take off your shoes and let's get started. So, th so we we're making those for those people. Certain things like happy birthday yoga we do because everyone's asking, can you, we get tens of thousands of requests per year for someone to, for, for Adrian to do a like happy birthday recording because there's no real, con once you're in, there's no real concept of the scale and it's, also, it's impossible for her to do that. So we make a happy birthday video and we said, well, here's a happy birthday yoga practice. So we do listen to the audience a significant amount about like 30% are audience requests. And then I would say probably like 50 are things that we know they're those keyword driven things that we know will will send a signal out and we'll find people to bring to kind of bring them in. And then the rest is kind of scratching our own itch. I was gonna say taste and, and, and yeah, opinion. Yeah. And yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. The, a cynical person might say, oh, early on before there was a lot of virtual yoga classes, you selected an audience that was A, underserved and B, perhaps easy to reach, right? Because they weren't skeptical like, oh, no, no, I have my studio. I won't 
like it virtually. Uh, so you could, what skeptic or cynic might say, you're being opportunistic. What was authentic about you and Adrian hoping to focus on that audience? Well, I would say I'm from Oklahoma. She's from Texas. We're making the show in Texas and both of us had no money. <laughs> so it's like, so we, were, <laughs> we, we couldn't afford to go yoga classes. She was, she was teaching yoga classes and would have to mop floors to like get the room to do a donation-based class, right? So she wasn't even getting paid to teach. She would get donations, but she had to like mop floors and clean the yoga studio to even teach yoga. So we both were like, I feel like it's very talking to ourselves, really. So ultimately, it really does come down to we're kind of talking to an amalgamation of our two personalities. That was the audience. So there, there could be an element that's opportunistic, but the goal of like making money was not, we didn't see this turning into a big business. We were like, Maybe we can quit our day jobs and make movies on the weekends. That was the highest thing we aspired to do. So, and we felt there was a market that was being underserved that we really knew well. And so, so that was the opportunity we went for. When you think about your role as a producer before moving into CEO, what were you doing or what were your power alleys? And how did that assist in growing YouTube channels? Like what skill sets translated from film to that? I would consider one of my strengths to, is that I feel like I can really put myself in the place of the audience. And so I'm I'm trying to create something that resonates with someone and ideally fulfills some kind of meets some kind of need, whether it's entertainment, health, you know, I've done cooking channels and other other channels. So there's that. And then in the early days it was Adrian and I with like two cameras figuring it out. Like do, we did test videos and then we would watch them to see how we thought it was going to like work because it's different what you think you're doing. And it's different. Adrian's like a absolutely like trained and spectacular actor as well. So it's, it's a, it's a slightly different skill set you, that you bring because you're performing to it on a certain level, but you're trying to connect more authentically with the audience. So we would watch those. Is this connecting when we see it on the screen? Is this connecting with us? So there's going through that whole process and then also figuring out the visual style and then making a couple hundred episodes with just the two of us and then figuring out how to break that down into chunks that we can bring other people in to help shoot edit. So for me, it's putting myself in the place of the, on, on like a conceptual creative level, it's putting myself in the uh, seat of this audience member. One of the hallmarks of work that resonates is the personal nature of the experience. The things that we declare as people to be our favorites, that's an act of each of us self-expressing. Our favorite things are tied to each of our identities, and they become that way because of your own experience of whatever that thing is, an experience that I didn't have. This can make it really hard to find any abstract, universal methodology that we can apply to our creative work to then resonate. And why? Because it's really up to the people receiving our work to interpret it through their own personal experiences. Does it feel personal? For example... One of my favorite podcast episodes was from the show Radiolab. It's a legendary podcast with incredible stories and sound design and music. And this particular episode was about the concepts of memory and forgetting in your brain. I think most people think about memory kind of like a file cabinet in your brain. I'm looking for a fairly large capacity. This is traditional style. Something happens in your life. This is real work. Yeah, this is real wooden files. You file it away. Oh, this is pretty good. Yeah. Then later, when you want to remember something, you, you flip back through the files. This and you, file. There's the one. This one? Yeah. You pick it up. Oh, yes, I recall. Yeah. And there it is. That's the memory. Can you lock it? Yeah. Do you have the key? Sure. Sometimes you forget where you filed it. But let me see if I can. But it's there. I can't. Somewhere. 
Now, at face value, this episode has it all. Playful analogies about the brain, hauntingly beautiful stories about people experiencing love and loss, great factual scientific reporting, and moments where you feel deeply connected to both the hosts and the subjects. That episode on memory and forgetting is my favorite episode of Radiolab. But why? Yes, the production of it all, sure, that's a piece of it. But really, it's my own personal experience of that episode. I'm reminded of a time when my wife and I and a few friends went to a ski trip in Vermont. We used to do that every year or so, heading up to a friend's house for New Year's. I can't help but think about how we've kind of lost touch with that person, Amanda. She's great. I should give her a call. At the house, I remember we found all these old school looking clothes, like they're from the 80s. And we had an 80s dance party wearing all these old outfits that we found in the basement. Anyways, back to the episode of Radiolab. We were driving home from one of those trips one year where a mutual friend of mine and Amanda's was sitting in the back seat. I remember his name was his name was Willis. I actually went to college with him. Willis Reed Button, I think was his last name. And I never really hung out with him in college, but Amanda met him after graduating from a different school. And so somehow we found our paths crossing again, Willis and I. And so Willis was in the back of my car and I found myself talking to him more than I ever had, despite knowing him for all these years. And we were talking about podcasts somehow. And I asked if he'd ever heard Radiolab and he said no. So I switched on the episode of Memory and Forgetting. And now I remember driving down the highway in Vermont back to our home in Boston. Willis in the back me glancing quickly up at the rear view to see if he was enjoying the episode. And my wife was in the passenger seat as well. And we were driving down the highway and the road was completely clear, just jet black highway, no ice or snow to be found. But the sun, the morning sun that morning in Vermont was like bleaching the banks of snow on either side of the highway. So I had to squint as I drove. It was peaceful. It was moving. It it was inspiring. And part of those emotions was this amazing episode of Radiolab. Okay, so now here's the question. How do you as a podcaster engineer that for others? I mean, can we all build any kind of project or business by feeling more personal to other people? Because isn't that on them? I think it's a fool's errand. It'd be foolish of me to say, yes, absolutely, here's the one methodology. But maybe we can increase the odds. I think the only way we can create things that feel personal to other people is to ensure that the work feels personal to us. To share what feels right, what resonates with us in that moment, to find the overlap of things we love to create and things others love to receive. Only by sharing our own unique perspectives, our experiences, our stories, our feelings on the matter, do we create anything others feel reflects their very human, very personal experiences. As people love to say about stories, and I agree, we understand the universal through the specific. Your role in the work cannot be downplayed. By making the work specific to what you can create and what you've experienced, by ensuring it resonates with you you might just resonate with others because it might just feel personal. We are exploring this idea of resonance. How is Adrian, how is the content you've directed, how is this business able to 
connect emotionally with people in such a crowded space. Because yeah, you're speaking to one person. A lot of people say they do that. Yeah, you're teaching sure. and helping. And a lot of people say they do that. Is there a hook? Is there an angle that you feel like, well, if you white label it, this is how we know it's ours? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, we can't take away from the fact of what Adrian brings to the thing. She's very unique. She really like did the work to bring this. She really invested like everything into this relationship this communication and not only like the stuff you see in camera in front of the camera but like her vision for like what things should look like what things should feel like but also i'm the one that cast her so i get a little bit of credit (laughs) (laughs) how do you find new grooves to pursue having done hundreds i think you mentioned 700 plus standalone videos on yoga like how does it not just become stagnant in your minds as the producer, director, and or talent. It does to a certain extent, but it's also the thing that we do. It's it's that's that's the foundation for everything else that we do. But there's concepts we still have that are from the early days when we were making a regular show and it seemed like it was going and we're like, oh man, you know what we should do? We should do this and that. And then it got too busy to pursue any of those things. So and they and we still get new ideas for things. So we, we want to do like we've got a great idea for like a, a new spin on like a travel show that we've that we've continued to refine over the, but we just haven't had the time to, to go do it we have companies that want us to do it and it looked like something big was going to happen before covid but it didn't really go anywhere because of that because we couldn't travel things are like opening up a little bit not only in the world but with with our schedules and how we're prioritizing our schedules so we can go develop those things again we're both really excited about finding and like curating new teachers you know mm-hmm. and new instructors that that would, that would be on the network and like figuring out what those their shows would look like and how how we help them connect with their audience so that's something that yeah. Adrian and I are excited to work on together as like more of a producer director situation where she doesn't always have to be in front of the camera but she can still be right. creatively invested in driving this thing yeah. forward Chris is leading a business that already has product market fit, and then some. Driven by the YouTube channel Yoga with Adrian, the brand Find What Feels Good now has more mature systems and projects, and of course a far bigger audience than a lot of businesses like theirs. To me, they feel established. The initial resonance is not an issue. They found that. Now the issue becomes sustaining resonance, and that can be maddening. When we first start out, we pretty much all fall into what Ira Glass refers to as the gap. What you imagine creating is so far ahead of what you can actually create. And the only way you can close the gap is to do a lot of work. And maybe eventually your vision and your reality can match. You put something out in the world and go, yep, that's exactly what I was picturing. You've closed the gap. But the thing is, as you progress in your career, the goalposts simply move further away. Your vision shifts your tastes change or maybe improve you reach the top of one mountain peak and you realize there's another and another and another it always feels slightly out of reach so all we can do is keep going is iterate is reinvent try something see what sticks and try again there's no single leap across from where you are to where you want to be because where you want to be changes evolves gets further away all the time The entirety of this work we do happens inside the gap. When we started this whole YouTube thing, we had no money. We had used equipment that we cobbled together, however. So particularly with Yoga with Adrian, we were not happy with how it looked in the early days. We were not really happy creatively. 
we both have a lot of attention to detail and we care a lot about it, but also we have to put it out. You know, we have, we have to start putting it out into the world or it's never going to be finished and it's never going to go anywhere. So like our thing was, we'll just improve 1% each time. Just one little thing, this light can move over here and it makes it 1% better. And so we did that. So I think we're still working towards that now. It's, it's still like, how do we light better? How do we get like the audio better? Let's just like improve 1% every time. So like over you know, probably a thousand total videos by now. Ideally it adds up, but we're never going to be, we're never going to close the gap. I think YouTubers, podcasters, really writers, anything that's serialized or anything that can persist mm-hmm. creatively. I'm always fascinated by going way, way back in their archives and, and mm-hmm. back catalogs and sort of like seeing if they do something similar today, how different it it's become just mm-hmm. by doing it a lot. And, you know, one example of that with Adrian's videos on YouTube might be the way she opens, right? She's calmer in her delivery, uh, definitely more confident. Hello, my darling friends, and welcome to Yoga with Adrian. I'm Adrian, and this is Benji. And today we have a beautiful practice to help bring- Benji is a big part of the intro. There seems to be this desire to do some kind of running theme or a runner, you might say, like where Benji's a character. In the, and, and if you are from the community, you probably latch onto that and love it. And if you're not, you're immediately sensing- oh, there is some kind of insider feel to this and, mm-hmm. and you like it immediately. So there's always these things that when you when you kind of look back and compare it to today, they change, they evolve. Tech is one of those things that creative people, I think, tend to overinvest in early and try to mm-hmm. get it all right, right? Yep. That's one of those things that can iterate. You've now built a couple of uh, successful YouTube channels and businesses around those things. What are the things that, yes, everything is iterative, but early on, you really do want to invest in and get right. You know, as a podcaster, I would say it's got to be the premise of your show. I would say if I, you can give me one tool to focus on, it would be audio uh, because oh, it's like much, much more important on YouTube than actual video, depending on what you're doing that like investing in audio to make that clear, like vocal connection and the premise and really, really like narrowing down your target audience, because there's no such thing anymore as the idea of like fame has absolutely changed. You're, you're going to be like super famous to like a smaller amount. And that's enough thinking through that and realizing that you don't have to be like super famous all over the world. You're going to be like focusing in on this niche. And that niche is probably going to be bigger than it would be if you had a broadcast show. So I think really like honing in on your premise and honing in on your desired audience. Like these are people you're going to be in contact with for uh, to some capacity. It may just be one-sided for a while, but this is going to be the audience you're going to be in contact with for potentially a long time. You'll be putting a lot of energy into it. So make sure you like that audience instead of ending up and then you'll re- then you'd really end up in a nightmare scenario if you didn't like your audience and have your premise really dialed in. I just want to sum that up really quick for us. We can marry what Chris just said about liking your audience with what we explore here on this show overall, resonance. It's going to be really hard to resonate with others if what you do, how you do it, or more importantly, who you're doing it for simply doesn't resonate with you. I talk about being intrinsically motivated by the problem and serving the audience. I couldn't join any old company and do marketing for them and create content for them if I don't authentically care about the audience, if the problems they face don't resonate with my own experience of the world. Said another way, choose your audience. There's a blog post by Seth Godin that was written in 2009 with an appropriate title for what we're talking about right now. Choose your customers, choose your future. Here's what he wrote. And yes, it's short enough that I can read the entire thing to you right now. Quote, 
marketers rarely think about choosing customers. Like a sailor on shore leave, we're not so picky. Huge mistake. Your customers define what you make, how you make it, where you sell it, what you charge, who you hire, and even how you fund your business. If your customer base changes over time, but you fail to make changes in the rest of your organization, stress and failure will follow. Sell to angry cheapskates and your business will reflect that. On the other hand, when you find great customers, they will eagerly co-create with you. They will engage and invent and spread the word. It takes vision and guts to turn someone down and focus on a different segment, on people who might be more difficult to sell at first, but will lead you where you want to go over time. End quote. Choose your customers, choose your future. Chris and Adrian did exactly that. They picked their audience from the start, the yoga curious, the folks that are not likely to wander into a yoga studio. And that provided them tons of inspiration and energy to create a ton of content. And why? Because the lives of who they served felt personal to them. It all resonated start to finish from creator to recipient. But of course, there are no silver bullets in this work. Just because you like your audience and feel a calling to serve them doesn't mean your calling won't burn you out. Adrian has talked publicly about burnout and you've Mm -hmm. worked on multiple YouTube channels and you've kind of seen it and I'm sure advised others or talked Mm -hmm. to others just casually and connected with lots of people in this space. And as creators, I think sometimes we're sold a dream and then Mm -hmm. reality gets a lot uglier. Talk to me about, you know, when you feel uh, or when even maybe that moment when Adrian started thinking about or talking to you about feeling burnt out, the business is tied to her personality and even her name sure. in this case. What do you do? How, what do you say to that person? And how do you proceed from there? Well, I think it's a very real thing and a very real problem. And what we do is we start assessing what are the things that are like giving energy? What are the things that are sapping energy? I what are the things that. that are taking a ton of time? We've been going through this process recently, and there's a few things that seem cool, but they take an incredible amount of time. And there's not really, not just time, but like resources and energy. And it's almost never making YouTube videos. It's it's almost never like making the content. It's all the things that go around it. And some of these things are very, very seductive. And it seems like, oh, this seems cool. And then three years later, you've grown. The relationship hasn't grown. It's taking a lot of time. It's taking away from the main work. And even things like how much we engage on social channels that's been a minefield for the last few years and that can end up like taking a lot of time and resources so you know we've got the youtube channel we've got the subscription video demand service we've got email newsletter we've got social presences but how do we rein that in and start doing things on a practical level like can we do a batch shoot of two days and we like kind of turn it into a fun thing and we like take all we, we eliminate all the stuff that is slowing things down. We just like, we're just going to get together for two, two days and shoot like the old days. Let's try not to even look at our computers. We're not going to talk about any partnerships or any social media dramas. We're just going to like get together and shoot. And then, then they go into post-production and then ideally take a break. And we probably got two months worth of videos during that time. You know, like the 80, 20 rule is actually like very like helpful in situations like this. Cause it's always t- turns out to be true in our case, in our, in our businesses. So it's kind of like finding the, um, 20% with the most value and the YouTube channel is a relationship. And when we can like get back 
focused on that and focused on like the community that we built there. And because of that, that's very energizing. And it's a matter of like taking the unessential thing. Non-essentials are often the things that are just a drain and lead to that burnout. Was there a moment that Adrian came to you and said, I'm really like, I'm not feeling it? Or did you identify some symptoms? Yeah, it's an, it's an ongoing conversation because it's something, obviously it can accumulate. The longer you do something, the more it accumulates because like burnout's a real thing, like for creative people, even if it was something that wasn't at this scale, burnout would be a, would be a big thing. So it's an ongoing conversation. And I think for us, as we're coming into like this 10 year birthday, it's, that's kind of like closing one chapter and we can, it feels like a big accomplishment. We will have accomplished like all the stuff that we wanted to during that. And then the idea of like closing that chapter or closing that book and starting book two is kind of interesting because it may look totally different. I think what's often hidden about doing consistent creative work are all these little like grooves you get into and, and ride for a while or all the different formats or mini series or recurring tropes you come up with as a way to like sustain your work. Um, I actually, I call this riding the wrinkle. So for example, you try a random segment inside of an episode a few times and you like it or the audience does. And all of a sudden that spins out into its own mini series that you can ride for, you know, 20 episodes and then it runs its course. And, you know, you can do this with any small change that you make to the core content or project you build, right? Topics you investigate more deeply because your first foray into it proved important. Mediums that you shift into, new voices you include, you can play with structure or format or gamified stuff, all of it. And I think what you're left with is more than just a list of topics for each new piece you publish. You also have the types of pieces and then those types help you make creative work more sustainable uh, and also maybe more enjoyable for you and your audience because neither side feels like it's growing stale. So in other words, you ride the wrinkle. What are some of the ways that you've tried to do that? It seems like the same format over and over, but there are a few different containers. But I do feel like by the time we're in our, maybe the beginning of our third year, it really does like smooth out. And I I can see like the different formats. I know that this one is to like get new people. This one is like to talk directly to the people that are already here. This is when we used to be, you know, YouTube algorithm was different. So we were experimenting with like vlogs and travel vlogs, developing a new format there. YouTube changes. So we saw that was hurting our main videos. Then we like spin the vlog and the travel stuff off into the membership. So that gives us a place to play there. And now now we're like really like spreading it out on find what feels good. We've done our first like animated show for kids and we're getting ready to episode like a pilot episode. So now we're getting ready to do a bunch more animated series using the dog um, Benji <laughs> to teach like yoga and mindfulness wrapped in a little story about what kids are going through today. You know, some of it's like social anxiety, being scared of the dark, different things like that. So there's like oh, mindfulness wow. exercises, breathing exercises, and then teaching them about yoga poses. That's exciting to have the infrastructure to work on something like that now. Yeah, there's like other people that we're just interested to collaborate with. And that could be that could take the form of interviews. It could take the form of having them on to like teach breath work or we'll see what it is. It's one of those cases where like we know what we're excited about, what our vision is. Now we're just like looking, we'll we'll know it when we see it coming in. And so now we're just casting the net out and bringing people in, talking to them, not to get too granola-y, but like feeling the vibe and like seeing if it's going to be people that we're going to like to work with for a long time. Hundreds of episodes, millions of subscribers, a big and growing and thriving business. We often hear people use one word to describe that level of business success, empire. They built 
a yoga empire, a content empire, a business empire. In researching this episode, I even found something on YouTube. It was an interview that GQ did with Adrian, and the caption talked about how she'd built an empire. But I hear empire and I think sprawling. I think tons of surface area, tons of land. It's a land grab after all, isn't it, to build your empire? And maybe at first, that's how this business actually felt to somebody like Chris. Lots of product diversification, lots of different ways to try and grab at revenue and audience. Maybe at first, Find What Feels Good was building that kind of empire. But then they made a shift that some might view as radical and risky. We used to have a lot of products and now we have one product. That is the subscription video on demand service. So we've actually like taken down our Shopify store. We don't have like, we occasionally do like a pop-up store. What were the list of things you've tried? We've done like physical merchandise. We've done like the individual courses. We've done keep cups, putting the, putting the logo on things, you know, and yeah, they've all yeah, like yeah. done, re- done really well. It was just, as we entered the burnout phase, those are the things that we started looking at. Like we know that the audience love these and we like making them, but it's not a really good ROI and it's a lot of, time and energy and stress. So, so we start like removing these things. So really everything is like designed now to flow into the, the one product, which is the find what feels good membership, which is apps and on your TV or on, or access through your browser. So content diversification is the thing that we're doing to make the product better. So we're just figuring out how we make the product better. We're figuring out how do we market the product for the first time, rather than just like having Adrian email about it. How do we package this in a way that's not about Adrian, but it's about the people that are coming into this thing, the people that are coming and engaging and and how can we diversify content to make it a better experience and make this more of a part of their life. We're like relentless about like getting rid of products. (laughs) That's great to know because I think one thing that kills a lot of creativity is you're spread too thin. You know, doing fewer Mm -hmm. things better is a a rallying cry that I, I know I have and struggle with and a lot of, I think people do that too. Having gone broad and then scale mm-hmm. back and focused? And how would you advise somebody to know that they're ready to diversify? I wish I could answer this question better because I've done a terrible job at it. I've only like f- figured it out by running into a wall and like frustration. <laughs> Me right? too. That we- was genuinely, I genuinely <laughs> want to know. That's why I'm asking. I know. <laughs> like I can see the problem after, after it's too late. And this happens with, I, I'm friends with a lot of people that are in internet content businesses. And it's like, it's always too late. It's hard to take things away. Yep. So I wish I knew, but I think like dialing, I think focusing on one thing and now what, what I would do as an organization, I would like, because now we're having everyone estimate how much, because you know, we have a team now. So if we're going to do something new, it's not just like what the product costs. We're having them estimate, okay, well, how much time is this going to take? How much time, how much are you going to need Adrian for this? How much are you going to need me for this? All that gets combined. So we realize, we realize it's always going to need Adrian and in particular, but also me more than we think it's going to be. So we double those numbers. Then when you start looking at the numbers of what we're spending as a team, it gives us a better estimate of like, what this is really going to look like. It's not just like something that's cool. But yeah. One of the things that if, if this exists, I would love to have for Zoom meetings, a timer that I could put in everyone's salaries and have it like ticking up. Here's like how much, <laughs> how much the company is spending for this like Zoom meeting with like 10 people on it and the longer that it goes. And it's just like, this makes it to the show. Someone should invent that. And I will definitely like <laughs> sign up. <laughs> The story of Find What Feels Good, and really Chris's message to us, I think, is this switch 
from the desire to build an empire to the process of building your skyscraper. You want to put your name on something to change the skyline of the industry or the community that you're in. To do that, you can build on the same single foundation, but you have to build it so strong, dig it so deeply, in other words, resonate so deeply, that you can reach heights most wouldn't even dream of building to. You're not spread thin, you're going deep to start, and then you can build up from there. It's a sign planted firmly in the ground. This, this is where we build. It all starts with resonance. It's all built on that willingness to build your strong foundation first, on top of which you can build and build and build. It's a bit nuanced, this explanation of what Chris and Adrian have built, I get it, but isn't anything meaningful? And make no mistake, this is learned, this is iterative, this is found through repetition and reinvention over time. That's what consistent creativity actually requires. Yoga with Adrian as a channel and the surrounding business has over 10 million fans, but they never speak to 10 million people. They speak to one person 10 million times. Thanks for listening. This episode was written and edited by me with production support from Alana Nevins. If you had any thoughts or questions on this episode, this show, or my work overall, you can email me, jay at unthinkablemedia.com. I'm also at jayacunzo on Twitter. As an independent creator, I rely on the support of listeners like you. Every little action you take actually does matter. I notice it and I benefit from it as an independent. So you can share this show with a friend. That's huge. Leave a review on your app of choice. Also great. Or go to my website to purchase a book or course. I'm able to continue making the show and keep it free to find and enjoy only if listeners like you take an active role in supporting. So thank you so, so much for listening all the way to this point. You're already helping me build something special for you. Thank you. If you want more stories each week, get on my newsletter. It's called Playing Favorites, where we explore how to resonate. Every week, a new story and insight and a link to the new episodes of this show so you never miss it with some bonus content and goodies built just for subscribers to the email list. That's at jayakunzo.com. We're back soon with a brand new episode of the show, but until then, keep making what matters. See ya. Thank you to The Juice for sponsoring this episode. The Juice is kind of like Spotify for B2B content. If you're in sales or marketing, they deliver the highest value content currently trending among your peers as soon as you log into their beautifully designed platform. And then they'll suggest content more tailored to your profile, your job title and level to help you grow your career and your company. 
There's just so much content out there about sales and marketing, and much of it is redundant, low quality, overly optimized for algorithms junk. The Juice helps you find the best, most original thinking in our space so you can get better faster. Learn more and sign up for free at thejuicehq.com.